The scripture passage this morning is the 24th chapter of the book of Joshua, which is an Old Testament book. As a matter of fact, it's the first book after the Pentateuch. Now that'll sure help you find it. After Deuteronomy, you'll find Joshua. And I want to read verses 14 through 28. The emphasis that we have been giving to this time on Sunday is with regard to revival. If God desires to do something in our midst for which we cannot take the credit, and if He stands in the, standing in the wings uh, just ready to move in and do His work, why isn't He? Where's the bottleneck? Who's the culprit that's preventing that work of God that we have known in history as a genuine renewal or revival or the moving of God and history? Is, it, is the sovereignty of God so such that He'll just move in time when He gets ready, regardless of what man does, or is the sovereignty of God such, so related to the will of man, that God says, when you will, if you will, I will? Well, I believe the latter. I believe that God works on a prepared altar, and that when man does his homework, God does his divine work. And so we are at the bottlenecks. And I've uh, preached three or four sermons on revival in a corporate idea, God moving in time to a church to make Himself uh, known in the, in the midst of a congregation and the prerequisites to that. I want to talk this morning about how to have a personal revival, how your heart individually can be revived. Now, verse 14, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him. Joshua's making his little speech now to the people. Uh, he, he's, uh, I'm giving you a farewell speech, not mine, but Joshua's. And uh, sorry about that, you've been hoping. Uh, it's a Joshua's farewell speech, and he says, Now fear the Lord, and serve Him in sincerity and truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, if you don't like it to serve God, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, which were before the, beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are now living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods, for the Lord our God is He who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, and who did these great signs in our sight, and preserved us through all the way in which we went, and among all the peoples through, whom, through whose midst we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all the peoples, even the Amorites who lived in the land, there's a good reason why we're going to serve God. There it is outlining it. It says, We also will serve the Lord, for He is our God. Then Joshua said to the people, You will not be able to serve the Lord. 
Now that's kind of strange. Joshua tells them to serve the Lord. Then he said, they said, we're going to do it. He said, you can't do it. You can't serve the Lord. For He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions. Forgive your transgressions or your sin. But he said, if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then He will return and do you harm and consume you after He has done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen for yourselves the Lord to serve Him. And they said, We are witnesses. Now therefore, put away the foreign gods which are in, the, in your midst and incline your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, We will serve the Lord our God and we will obey His voice. Now it is in the nature of God to work in cycles or in seasons. You discover that not only in the Scriptures, but you discover it in nature. So you have day and night. It's not always light and it's not always dark. You see it in the seasons of the year. It's not always cold. It seems like it'll be forever. It's not always cold and it's not always hot. You have these seasons. This principle also is seen in your body. You have the need to rest and you have the need to expend energy. And if you break the principle, the law of God, you, you, you pay for it, you suffer for it. If some of you decide you're going to work all the time and don't get proper rest, your body breaks down. And if some of you decide all you're going to do is just lie around and eat, you're going, you're going to pay for that also. The principle also applies in spiritual progress. Your spiritual growth depends upon both taking in and giving out. There is this coming in for meditation or devotion, and there is going out for ministry. I don't suppose that there's ever been anybody with any more pressure on him than Jesus. Not only was he on call 24 hours a day, but he carried the burden and the weight of the world's redemption on his shoulders. And yet this man never lost his temper. He never was anxious or, or frustrated or, or full of, uh, of confusion. And the key to it was that he had this marvelous balance. He came in for meditation and he went out for ministry. You see this principle of cycles or seasons in the history of Israel... God's people. You've been told many times before that the cycle view of history it was a part of the Jewish economy. I mean, they would build up idols and worship idols and God would send them a prophet and they'd reject the prophet and God would send His judgment upon them and they'd repent. He'd give them a judge and they'd start living right. Things would go and be, be going great. They'd build idols. It'd start all over again. It was cyclic in nature. Now, what was true then is true now. What was true there is true here. There are some of you here this morning who in your spiritual life or in the time of spring and summer, it's a time of life and flourishing and health and fruit. But there are some of you here this morning who these words can best describe you, cold and barren and and fruitless and wintertime. There are some of us this morning who are in the 12 o'clock high of spiritual life. There are some of us who are in the 6 o'clock low. And there are some who are at 3 and at 9. We're just kind of lukewarm. Nothing's really happening, neither bad nor good. 
And because this cycle, the, these, um, uh, these seasons of our spiritual life come and go, it is always necessary to call people to new commitments and new consecrations to God. It's necessary to call people to revival. It would be interesting this morning if we just took a poll and asked, how many of you are up 12 o'clock high and 6 o'clock low, 3 o'clock and 9 o'clock lukewarm? I imagine we'd hit everybody here. And that's why it's necessary for God to just keep on calling us to new commitments, to new consecration. That's why it's necessary for there to be times of renewal. And I have found that every time God brings me back from one of those six o'clock lows, that, move, that, that range, that, that season touches a greater area of my life. Now that was true here in the 24th chapter of Joshua. These people have been on good times. I mean, some big things have been happening with them. They destroyed cities just by shouting, and God had gone before them to clean out the land. He was good to them. But things were not always just like they ought to be, not even there. There were periods, there were, there were idols and the weeds of idols that need to be rooted up, and these people were not sold out to God yet. And so He was calling them to a new commitment and to a new consecration. That's what I'm doing in, with you this morning. Now, the way he does that is found in verse 14 and in, in, in three imperatives. And the three imperatives are these. Fear the Lord, serve the Lord in sincerity and truth, and put away the foreign gods among you. Now, if you want a personal revival, if you want to experience revival in your own heart, there, the imperative, there are the imperatives. There is the prerequisite. Fear the Lord, serve the Lord in sincerity and truth, and put away the foreign gods among you. Number one, fear the Lord. Now, some of us this morning may have a problem with that. Some people have said to me, I don't know how do you reconcile uh, fearing the Lord with the fact that God is a God of love. I mean, if He's a God of love, why do we fear Him? Well, I think the misconception, a misunderstanding, is in our misunderstanding of what it means to fear the Lord. There are three kinds of fear. There is superstitious fear. Ron Dunn told about preaching in a church and a pastor met him at the airport and he was, they were take, he was taking him to his motel room and, 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 and uh, the preacher asked him, said, do you have this series of tapes with you? He said, yeah, I do. He said, I'd like to buy it. He said, I'd like to sell it. He said, how much is it? He said, $13. He said, oh, wait. He said, I, 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 I couldn't pay $13 for it. He said, well, why not? He said, well, I, I'm really superstitious. And he said, I just never have been able to comfortably make out a check for $13 or pay $13 for anything. Well, Ron said, so I'll tell you what, I'll charge you $14. Now, he said, I'll charge you $14. You give me $14, I'll give you a dollar back and change. And he said, that's the weirdest thing I've ever had. He said, no Christian ought to be bound by that kind of superstition. Let me tell you something. There are some people this morning whose service to God is just superstitious fear. You're afraid not to. I know some guys this morning who just so verbal against sin, they name every sin that everybody ought not to commit. And yet those same folks would commit sin if they thought they could get by with it. The only reason they don't is because they fear they can't get by with it. I mean, if I, did, if I didn't serve God, you know, He might take my child or make my face break out with acne or something terrible, you know. I, I grew up like that. 
I mean, my pastor had the idea that the best way to move and motivate people just kind of pour on the guilt, just load on the guilt. I mean, I was afraid not to serve God. I was afraid God is at me, and I was afraid He's going to call my name in, in the pulpit someday. Most of our service, most of the service of some folks is just superstitious fear that arises out of guilt. It's terrible. Then there is a slavish or servile fear. It's the fear of a, of a slave to a taskmaster who is hard and cruel. And their concept of God is somebody with clenched teeth and squinted eyes and clenched fist. And they're, they're, they're frightened that, that, that God, the master, would come into their presence. It's a slavish or servile fear. Then there is spiritual fear. That's what he's talking about in this text. Fear of the Lord. Now, there are three things I need to say about spiritual fear, what it means to fear the Lord. First of all, it means to, to, to remember His goodness. It means to remember. Now, if you want to read the Old Testament, you just notice how many times Moses reminds the people, remember the Lord, remember the Lord. And he was constantly br bringing things into their experience that would jog their memory. And he said, all the nations shall be turned into hell that does not remember the Lord. What does it mean to remember the Lord? It means to, to, to not have this indifference toward Him, to remember Him. Now watch. When you sit down today at your meal, you need to remember that that food comes from God. Back of the loaf is a snowy flower, and back of the, back of the flower is the meal, and back, back of the flower is the meal, and back of the meal is the wheat and the shower and the sun and the Father's will. And when you get up in the morning and you look around at that house you live in, you just remember that it is God who gives you the ability to get wealth. And when you enjoy those blessings that are in your life, you just remember that you wouldn't have a thing if it were not for the mercy of God. Neither would I. Remember. The second thing about spiritual fear is to reverence His character. It means to have a and it means to esteem the holiness of God. It means to, to live in awe of Him. Let me tell you, there's a contagion of irreligion going around. Where we call Him this good old buddy kind of a... Have, a, have that kind of a attitude toward Him. Let me tell you something. He is so holy, the angels couldn't even look on Him. Reverence His character. Gypsy Smith was raised by gypsies. He got converted in a William Booth revival, Salvation Army revival. Somebody came up to him one day, so enthusiastic, he had so much zeal for God. They said, Gypsy, how do you maintain that zeal for God? How do you stay at 12 o'clock high? He said, I never have lost the wonder. Reverence his character. Third, it means to recognize his lordship, his authority. Now, now folks... When you become a Christian, the issues are settled. The issue is settled. I just got thinking the other day that most of the things we preachers spend all, most of our time doing, most of our energy is trying to get people to do things that, have, that, that are at, ought to have already been settled. I mean, we try to get people to witness. Listen, folks, that's already been settled. We try to get people to give, and we go through all these campaigns. That issue is already settled. We try to get people to come to prayer meetings. Prayer is already settled. 
One of the most helpful things I've ever discovered is when that person showed me that when you become a Christian, you don't add the Lord to your life, He adds you to His. Most of us talk about accepting Christ, and what we mean by that is that we're willing to say, Christ, you're acceptable to me. Let me tell you what, it's not just a matter of accepting Christ. Christ has to accept you. And you and I only come to God on His terms. And the terms of coming to Him and Him accepting us is the submission to His authority and lordship in our life. We have no choice in the matter, you see. Fearing the Lord means that I recognize His authority and His lordship in my life. Now, step one, prerequisite one to a personal revival is to fear the Lord. Two, means to serve Him. It involves serving Him in sincerity and truth. Now, that's the positive issue of fearing the Lord. Now, watch this. If you fear the Lord, you will serve Him. If you, have, if you remember God's goodness and you revere His character, and you recognize His authority, you will serve Him. See, it's the positive issue of fearing the Lord. Now, it's interesting, when the Bible uses the word serve, it, it is interchangeable with the word worship. Now, what do you think about when you hear the word worship? Well, I think about coming inside, uh, you know, a church building, and, and, and sitting down with other folks you know, and meditating. That's what I think about, don't, don't you? You know, this is yes, this is no. Isn't that kind of what you think when you, when, when you think about worship? You know, it's coming inside a church building and, and acting um, like somebody you're really not. You ever notice how, uh, how abnormal people act when they come inside a church? I mean, they even talk different. Uh, Adrian Rogers talks about preachers who talk like they swallowed the communion rail, you know. They, they, they just talk about God, you know. They use these, you know, terms. And we, we get this kind of a sanctimonious look on our faces. And worship for us is a source of enjoyment rather than a force for employment. It's something you do when you come inside the walls of a building. In church where I went as a, as a kid, they sang the call to worship was always the same. The Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent. Let all the earth keep silent before Him. And I had the idea what that means is that, that when I came inside the, the, the church walls, I was supposed to act religious there. You know. And that was supposed to be different from the way I acted outside the church. Now that's the way most of us think about it. Let me tell you. You know what I needed to learn? I needed to learn that that, that that stack of bricks that we call the church is not the temple of God. We are the temple of God. And because I am a believer, I have no right, I have no privilege of dividing life into the secular under the spiritual. I mean, all of life is sacred. Listen to what the Scripture says. It says, And now whatever you do, do all in the name of Jesus. Now what that means is, whatever includes all of life. And he's saying, whatever you do, if it's your, in your vocation, in your recreation, in your life, in your dating life, in your school life, whatever you do, do it all, do all in the name of Jesus. All of life is to be sanctified and made sacred. Now what does it mean? I want to say, I want to show you three things about what that means. To do all in the name of Jesus means that I do everything with the approval of Jesus. When somebody puts their name on something, it means they approve it. 
entertainers and athletes will, you know, they'll endorse a, a, a product. They put their name on it. I mean, everybody wants to get, you know, something that, uh, that Farrah Fawcett, you know, wears. I mean, girls do. And uh, uh, guys want to get, I mean, if there's a Mickey Mantle baseball, it's got a baseball bat, it's got to be a great one. I mean, he hit home runs all the time. You see their name on it, that their name, that endorsement was saying, I approve this, and it's consistent. Watch this. They're saying this, this product is consistent with the standards that I hold as a professional. Question. Can Jesus sign His name to what you do and approve it? I mean, can He sign His name to that test paper you'll hand in tomorrow and approve it with regard to preparation and, 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 and honesty in doing it? Can He sign His name to that business transaction tomorrow that you'll do out there in your business community and say, I approve this from the very first to the very last? Can He put His name of approval on what you do? Do everything with the approval of Jesus. It means the second thing. It means do everything in the authority of Jesus. You see, the name does not just mean approval, it means authority. So that if you sign your name on a check, what you're doing is giving the authority, authority to the bank to pay funds out of that account as long as there's uh, uh, sufficient funds in that account. I mean, you're giving authority by your name. When a policeman stands out here on the street corner and holds up his hand and says, Stop, and a big old 18-wheeler comes grinding to a stop, he doesn't because he's afraid of the, of the uh, uh, policeman. He does that because he understands the authority behind it. He knows that the authority of a government stands behind that 140-pound policeman standing there on the street corner. Now that gives us some clue as to, as to what it means to pray in Jesus' name. Now listen carefully, watch this. If I pray in Jesus' name, it means that I offer a prayer to God that Jesus approves, and therefore that prayer has the authority of Jesus behind it. And the Scripture says whatever He asks of the Father, He gets. Now watch. There is no prayer that's going to have the authority of Jesus in it and by it and upon it unless He has previously approved it. So if I have a prayer that I offer to God that He approves and puts His name on, then I can turn that check into heaven and, 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 and receive everything that Jesus has. And the whole authority of God Himself stands behind it. Now let me ask you this question. Are you living your life in the authority of Jesus? Is every act of your life being lived in the conscious authority of Christ you ought to raise your children. I ought to raise my children, enjoy my recreation, engage in my business and profession with the power and the authority of God behind me, for that's my privilege. Now I need to tell you this. It is not possible to have His authority in your life and upon your life until you're willing to submit to His authority. It's the over and the under principle. Now watch this. I will never be over anything until I am under Him. There's a beautiful illustration of that in the ninth chapter of Luke. And there was this man, this, this uh, uh, captain of the centurion, and he had a servant that was ill. And he, he, 
He sent to Jesus to come heal the servant, and Jesus was on His way. Before He got there, a messenger came out from the servant's house, from the centurion's house. And, and, and the centurion said, Tell Jesus I'm not even worthy for Him to come under my roof. Tell Him he, all He has to do is just say, Be healed, and, and, and my servant will be healed. Because I too am one who is over authority, and I tell my servants to go and come, and they go and come. Now what He meant by this was, Jesus heard that. He said, I've never seen such faith. What he meant with that was, and Jesus understood that even though he was a Gentile, he understood the over and the under authority principle. And it's this. Because he was under the authority of men over him, he had authority over those who were under him. And as long as he lived under the authority as a centurion, the authorities that were over him, he had authority over those who were under him. And he knew that Jesus lived under the authority of God, and therefore he had authority over disease to say, go away disease, and it would go away. Now watch this. If you submit to the authority of Jesus Christ in your life, then you have authority to live victoriously in life. There are a lot of failing fathers this morning who have no spiritual leadership because they've never submitted to the authority of Jesus. And there are a lot of worried mothers this morning who have no spiritual authority in their home simply because they have not submitted to their husbands as unto the Lord. And there are a lot of young people and teenagers who are dog meat to every temptation in the world simply because they rebel against their parents. And there are a lot of Christians this morning who have never known victory in this life simply because they have never submitted to the authority of God and His Lordship. So it means to live with the approval of Jesus and in the power and the authority of Jesus, it means also to do everything for the acclaim of Jesus. For a name means honor. Sometimes somebody will, will give something to somebody and do it in my name. I got a notice the other day that somebody gave a Bible to uh, the Gideons in my name. What that means in my honor, really. When you do something in someone's name, you do it for their honor. Now watch this. Are you living your life to honor God. Are you passing on the praise to Him? How can I have a personal revival? Fear the Lord. Serve Him. Here comes the hard part. I hope you're still awake. Put away the strange gods from among you. That's the negative issue of fearing the Lord. If serving Him is the positive issue... The negative issue is to put away the strange gods from among you. The gods of the farmer life. The gods who are strangers to grace. Put away those strange gods. Now, now that's up to you and me. Now, God cannot move in and give revival. He can't just zap us as long as we have these gods in our life that are strangers to grace and to God. Now when they said, we'll serve the Lord, Joshua said, you can't serve Him. You know why he said that? Because he knew those folks and he knew their commitment was too quick, too shallow, too superficial. He knew them. He knew that their, their commitment was not genuine. It was shallow. I'd like to think that everybody who comes down every aisle of every church on Sunday morning and makes a promise to God will keep it, but they won't. Jesus had times when people came up to Him and He said, Lord, we'll follow you wherever you go. 
Jesus said, no, you won't. Do you understand what that means? Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay His head. He wasn't doing that just to discourage them. He was wanting them to see that following Jesus is serious business. It's costly. If any man wishes to come to me, he said, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. If anyone comes to me and hates not his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. I mean, it's costly. You understand what it means to commit your life to Christ? And so these folks said, no, we'll serve him. Now watch, Joshua said, you can't serve the Lord because He is, look, He is holy and He is jealous. And that gives us a clue as to why He said you couldn't follow Him. He is holy. It meant that He will not accept unholy worshipers. And He is jealous. It meant they had things yet in their life that they were going to have to lay aside. God will stand no rival in your life. In 1950, in the Hebrides and south of Wales, a revival began. You know how that started? It started with four men. That revival was so great that the, whole, the entire nation of Wales, for ten years, for a decade, lived in the glow of that revival. It started with four men. These four men met to pray. They'd been praying for weeks and weeks and nothing happened. One night at 2 o'clock in the morning, one morning, 2 o'clock early in the morning, they were in prayer. And one of these men read the psalm that says, the 24th psalm says, Who can ascend the holy mountain and who can come into the presence of God? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who has not sworn falsely or given up his soul to vanity, he shall receive the blessing of the Lord. And the guy turned to his buddy, saw him down on her knees praying. He said, fellas, this is a bunch of humbug. He said, we're not going to have revival. We can pray from now on until we ask ourselves this question. Are, is my heart pure and is my, are my hands clean? And those men began to confess their sin to God and they began to lay away, lay aside the strange gods that were among them. And God began to revive a nation. Now the people said, We're witnesses to ourselves that we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said it the second time, Then serve the Lord and obey Him. You know why? What he was saying was, Watch this, what he was saying was, Prove it. You say you're going to serve God, prove it. You say you're going to lay aside these strange gods, prove it. Now you've made all these kinds of prayers and confession. Now the thing to do is to prove it. The only thing that's left after committing your life to God and deciding to do something is just to do it. How can I have personal revival? When I start fearing the Lord. When I begin to serve Him with the approval of God upon my life and the authority of God in my life, when I decide that I'm going to put away the strange gods among me. Will you join me in prayer?
Father, there are those of us in the deep of our heart who need renewal and revival. We're in a six o'clock low. We're in the winter time of a spiritual pilgrimage. And Lord, we fear you. We reverence your character. We stand in awe of you. And Lord, we're willing, we're willing to serve you. It's a reasonable thing to do. We lay aside the gods that are in our life to allow you to be number one, to be, to be first, to be essentially supreme and Lord. We pray it in Jesus' name.